friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. My name is Chris Rogers and I am your host. I'm really pleased to spend this time uh, with you today. I'm going to jump straight in. So today's episode is an interview with Ryan Rodriguez. Ryan is a curate at HTB Trainee Vicar at Holy Trinity Brompton. And I wanted to have a chat with him about biblical identity. Where do we get our identity from? Make What makes us us? What forms us as us? And we all wear labels that we think uh, define us. Uh, I'm a Yorkshireman. That's a defining label. I'm male, a defining label. I'm a Star Wars fan, a defining label. But actually, there's a greater label, and that label is uh, created in the image of God. And that is the label that should define all things. It's not that each of these labels don't mean something and shape us, but you have a great identity that's only found when we see ourselves in Christ, see ourselves in God, created in his image. So that's what we explore in today's episode. So we're going to jump straight in, interview with Ryan Rodriguez on biblical identity. I hope you find this interesting and inspiring. Here we go. Ryan, welcome to Making Disciples. It's so good to have you with me today. Thank you for giving me some of your time. Why don't you just give us a little uh, heads up? Tell us about yourself. Thank you so much, Chris. It's so much fun to be with you. So yeah, my name is Ryan. I am 27 years old. I'm from Tooting in Southwest London. Um, My dad is from India originally. My mum is from Sri Lanka. And um, yeah, I was was born and raised in London. Before I was born, actually, my mum was the runner-up in the Miss Sri Lanka beauty pageant. But um, I'm told told I take after my dad. So you can make of that what you will. I absolutely love that. How does your mum feel about, about that? I think... I mean, she does. If you ask her a question, she'll talk quite happily about it. But she actually is very shy and hates like when I mention it. So I make a point of kind of showing the photo of her in the pageant anytime I can. Oh, I love it. I love it. If that was my mum. She'd be boasting about it. She really would. Um, <laughs> I want to have a conversation with you today just around biblical identity. There's, you know, there's obviously been lots of conversation in the last few years about racial identity mm. and uh, what 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 makes us human what makes us um diverse as the church and i just want to kind of back up in that conversation and kind of bring us into some racial conversation but i want to back up and just talk first about that that greatest identity that we have that's found in being shaped in the image and the likeness of of god like how would you describe biblical identity or the bible's understanding of our identity yeah, it's a great question. Well, I think, you know, I, I had to come to terms with this and realize this for myself. I didn't grow up believing in God. And I kind of thought a belief in God was a bit outdated. I remember there was a guy in my secondary school who, even though I went to a church school, was kind of the only person I knew who believed in God. And he kind of got picked on for his faith. So I kind of internalized the idea that believing in God was a bit silly. Come to uni, well, actually, after getting five rejections in the UCAS process, so all five of them said no so you're not talking about identity i definitely label myself as kind of a bit of a failure at this point get the five rejections i've eventually reapplied to get into study english at cambridge university which again wasn't part of the script so now i'm like okay well i'm an english student that's part of my identity and actually i found 
working out what does it mean? What does my identity mean? was a really prominent question. And it's interesting, Fuller um, Institute in America, they've done some research around Gen Z. And I'm, I'm kind of on the borderline of Gen Z and millennial. And, you know, for me, TikTok is a song by Kesha. I'm not quite with it, what the Gen Z is. But um, they've done this research. And one of the top three questions that this generation are asking is who am I? So it's a question about identity. And I think I try to find different solutions to that problem. I am someone who's defined by my friends. I'm defined by um, how good my social life is. I'm defined by my grades. And for people listening, you know, it might be I'm defined by what promotion I get at work or how many followers I have on Instagram. And there are so many things in culture that are vying to give us the answer to the question, who are you? I think it's one of the most fundamental questions we ever ask. And I think when, for me, discovering the person of Jesus with um, friends of mine at uni shared their faith in Jesus with me in a way that was completely relatable and understandable. And it was as if a light bulb kind of went off and I was like, this is it. That if the Bible, if Jesus is who the Bible says he is and that my identity is rooted in who he says I am consequently, then everything changes. So it's something I'm journeying with and understanding more fully what it means to live our, our identity in who God says we are first and foremost. Greg, I love what you were just saying there about uh, who am I and labels. Yeah. Um, and I think that label is something I, you know, I'm a, I, I, I'm a Yorkshireman and I'm very <laughs> proud of this. You know, I'm a, I'm a Yorkshireman on mission to the South. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm in the pagan South and I, I'm come to save the day as a northerner. It's wow. a key part of my identity. The fact that I'm a, uh, you know, I should have been an artist, but I'm stuck as a vicar. Uh, that's a key part of my identity. Uh, the fact of a Star Wars fan is a big part of my identity. So we have mm. all these labels, don't we? Yeah. And the question becomes, when, do the, when, when does those labels become the greatest distraction over what is our ultimate identity? So I'm defining myself by all these labels, but there's just this one massive one over here mm. that we're neglecting to even notice created in the image of god yeah uh, and culture yeah i love it is asking who am i who am i be true to yourself but how yeah. can you be true to yourself when you actually don't know who you are yeah it's just it's it's that it doesn't make sense yeah and i think that's the thing as well because it's actually a question that culture is asking a lot of and you know we can talk a lot about identity politics and how kind of malleable our identities can seem to be and as you were speaking I was just reminded you know about you being an artist which I love because it, it made me think about you know how I've defined myself previously and things that I've held important to me outside of you know what I kind of would do for a day job um, which similar to you I've just got ordained in the Church of England and so you know my identity now I'm like okay am I really going to be the vicar guy what is what does that identity mean? But I was reminded as you were speaking just now, Chris, about those verses in Ephesians 2.10, which says, you are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good works he planned long ago. And what I love about that, I just, each part of that to me is so profound. And it's something I've had to kind of chew on for a long, long time. And I don't think I'll ever be done learning from just those verses like the idea of being God's masterpiece I just love I think that's such a it's one of the translations used the word masterpiece and I love that the idea of God who is inherently creative the creator of the heavens the earth the skies amazing sunsets amazing um, works in nature 
amazing beauty in God's creation. And yet the Bible says that you are, meaning us, God's masterpiece. Like the idea of when God wanted to show off, he made the human race. I think that's profound. Um, created anew in Christ Jesus. Our identity is rooted in who Jesus says we are to do good works we planned for us long ago. And I think the idea of identity is also linked to purpose. It's another one of those questions Gen Z are asking is, uh, what difference can I make with my life? And I think idea, identity and purpose are inherently linked. And I think, you know, God has given each of us, each of us listening to this podcast right now, you know, you'll be placed in different spheres of society, culture, politics, arts, education, or whatever it might be, family life, university. And I think all of those things, the gifts, skills, talents, God puts on our heart, you know, I, don't, I think it would be wrong to negate them. Actually, I think they're really important clues as to what it is God is calling us to do with our lives. But it all stems from the fact that our identity is rooted in who God says we are. And I'm just reminded of, you know, even in the person of Jesus, who obviously it goes without saying, and in the records we have of his life, lived this wonderfully profound, beautiful life, his like ministry on earth. But right before he does anything that we would consider remarkable or interesting or noteworthy, right before his ministry begins, Jesus is baptized. And the, the Bible tells us that um, you know, the heavens open, we hear the audible voice of the father who says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. That right at the beginning, before Jesus had done anything, before he had performed for identity, for acceptance, for validation, or any of that thing that we're so often tempted to do, Jesus's identity was rooted in who the father said he was, a much loved son. And I think that's true for us listening today, that we are much loved daughters, we are much loved sons of the God who knows us, who's created us and loves us intimately. I love that. I love that, it's so true. Um, I'll ask you this question, just as we talk about labels, it's an interesting kind of metaphor for us to look at how we wear these different labels. Um, is there a problem or does there become a problem? And the answer isn't yes or no. It's kind of a, it is a, it is a, a genuine question. Is there a problem when we elevate the wrong labels or we make a label really significant about ourselves? Uh, that, uh, so let me just think of an example. Um, it's really hard to think of one on the spot. You know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I, I think you'll, you'll get the heart of this, but I don't mean this particular topic, but um, a friend of mine uh, who is gay, who is a Christian, their, their Instagram feed says, I'm a gay Christian. Mm. And what really interests me in that moment is they've elevate, where, wherever you sit on that topic, we won't discuss that, but, but they've chosen to identify themselves with two labels, gay, Christian. I've got another friend that I know that is a bit of a right-wing uh, white racist Christian, lives in the north of England. And on his Facebook, I noticed during the pandemic, his description on there was um, a white British Christian. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like the, the two labels you're wearing here are, are essentially white and Christian. Um, so that you, we can end up playing with these labels in an, in, in, a, in an interesting way where these identities become so, I guess what, you know, part of me is my greatest identity in my life is that I am a, an adopted son and daughter of the most high. I'm created in the image of God mm -hmm. and that everything else apart in my identity kind of falls under, underneath that. Mm. every you know the fact i'm an artist bows to the label that i'm created in the image of god the mm. fact that i'm a yorkshireman bows to the 
fact that I'm created in the image of God. But is there a problem when, when our other identities somehow become more important or more elevated than that core identity? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think in my own life, I'm trying to work out the tensions of what that looks like for me. And I think the danger is, oh, I think there are probably two equal and opposite dangers. One would be that we don't allow the main thing to be the main thing, mm. which is, as you said, like we are who God has called us to be and we're made in the image of God and our identity is rooted and secure and nothing can take away from that. Nothing can add to that. That is, that is us. And I think the other danger would be, so that's kind of one, one truth that we have to remember, but the other would be to negate the influence that other factors in our life do contribute to our overall sense of identity. And I think it would be naive to want to completely say that those things aren't important because I think they are to varying degrees. You know, the fact that I grew up in Tooting in Southwest London, which was an incredibly energetic, diverse community has definitely contributed to the way I see the world, mm. 100%. And then when I went to a university like Cambridge, definitely contributed again to how I saw the world. When my parents divorced when I was 10, contributed to how I view the world. When I became a Christian, contributed to how I view the world and contributed to how I see myself. And so I think there are these things. And I think part of that is what makes each of us unique. Yes, we're made in the image of God, but you know, I, people have tried incorrectly in the past to say, well, this is what the image of God and humanity looks like. And, you know, that has been used for tools for oppression and um, segregation and division and has been used for much harm in the past throughout human history. And we know those painful examples, but I think there is an element to which that kind of wonderful diversity, and I use that word intentionally, that wonderful diversity in God's creation, I think speaks to God's creative power. So you in you and who God's created you to be, Chris, will have so much about even God's character, God's own heart that I won't have access to just because of my levels and layers of influence that I want to learn from you. Because I think the more I can celebrate that and the more I can learn to appreciate what God has done in and through your life, the more I think ultimately that points to God's creative power. So I think it's, I think there is that tension and we've got to be able to sit in that tension. I don't think we're good at sitting in tension as humans. We like things to be binary. And I don't think that's the reality of what it means to be human. I think you're right. And there's something about as, as being a, a child of God, it, it means being able to hold some of these things all in tension, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk to you about race, racial, racial identity. Um, yeah. What has been on your mind and heart in the last period of time that has really been heavy on you to share with the church around racial identity? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think as a church, the, the last 18 months with the pandemic, as it regards race, I kind of have been such a fascinating period of time to watch and kind of almost watch how the church has responded to the injustice of racism in the world, which we've, we've known we've been a part of throughout history anyway. Um, and so for me, it's been a time of consciously working out where I fit into that narrative. And it's been quite interesting also unpicking, talking about identity, you know, I mentioned earlier, my dad's from India, mum is from Sri Lanka, but I grew up in the UK. And there's always been a sense in my own mind of never quite fitting in either world. So I wasn't quite English enough 
to be English growing up at school. I remember once my mum having a conversation with me saying, Ryan, you can't call yourself English. You have to call yourself British. And I was very confused why she would say that. And I just remember her saying, it's because they'll never believe you. And I was like, who's they? Mm. And believe me about what? And I knew what she was getting at. Um, because when we think of English, we, we, we think of an ethnicity, we think of a skin color, we think of so many things. And she was like, you just won't fit the mold. Despite the fact, as I understood and I saw the world as a four-year-old, I was as English as my English friends were. I was born in London. I'm a Londoner, you know, proud Londoner. Like every good South London boy, I support Man United. <laughs> was, you know, that identity was very important to me. Um, but also conversely, I never quite felt Asian enough because I grew up in London. I never spoke either of my parents' other dialects. They both speak English as their first language. But, you know, going to family reunions and family parties, there was an element of feeling like an outsider. And then even with the race conversation, I haven't really heard in the church or outside the church the voice of South Asian communities in this discourse, actually. And rightly, I mean, like, you know, some of that is relevant. We've been responding to a specific injustice and it affects a specific group of people and so i think there is the need to deliberately focus our attention as we have done on responding to the injustice of racism towards the black community um triggered by the killing of george floyd and i think i'm i'm also interested to see how as that conversation around racial justice unfolds and racial unity which i'm particularly interested in unfolds where the voices of south asians in that conversation because I haven't really heard many of that I to this day haven't seen a vicar in the Church of England who's from South Asia preach I'm sure they exist but I just haven't seen one with my own eyes so to me that paints a narrative and it paints a narrative in my family's mind who aren't Christian when I bring them to the church of mm. this isn't for me I don't have a place to belong um so I'm I'm these questions I've had even this week trying to look at stories of um South Asians in the church South Asians in England as well how did after the war, after empire, the Asian community come to come to settle in the UK. So I've been thinking of those questions, but I think the racial unity thing mm -hmm. is something I feel very strongly about and often can get missed in the conversation mm -hmm. um, when we think about race, the idea of unity and how central that is to, I think, God's vision for us. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Revelation 7, 9. Exactly. Great multitude every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And I think unless we get to a real revelation of kingdom, the identity of the body of Christ made up from people from all tribes, all nations, all tongues, together worshipping the Lord, until we grasp a vision for that, we'll never really know what it means to be church. Yeah. Uh, I did my, um, my original uh, MA was in uh, youth culture and i did a whole dissertation on uh how church cannot be homogenous one people group or it fails to be church so i yeah. was looking at youth culture how you if you have a youth congregation um it fails to be the full body of christ then can it really be the church it can be a congregation of a church but it can't be a church in itself because church has to be the full body of christ many of our churches across the nation but then again across the world you get you get black only congregations you get french speaking only congregations you get you know white northern congregate the body of christ really is this diverse mixed multitude and it's mm -hmm. only when we grasp that vision uh, for a church that really looks like the whole of humanity together and it's only when it's together do we actually see 
you know, if we're creating the image of God, then to see the image of God, we need to see all that diversity coming together to, to, to get a sense of what the diversity of God is. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, my question for you would be simply this, you know, what is your dream for the church right now? What are you hoping and dreaming for when you talk about church, you've just got ordained, yeah. you'll be heading towards a future of leadership in some shape or form in the church. Yeah. Uh, you're young enough that you have got a long run and uh, you have no idea where that could kind of head to uh, in, in the institutions of the church. You know, what is your dream for the body of Christ? That's such an exciting question. I think my life has been profoundly changed by encountering for myself the love of God. And I think that love is so radically transforming and redemptive and healing that I long to see the church take its place to be the agents of that love being poured out into our world and as as it regards to race that love I think is probably the only thing that can draw us to God's original design. You mentioned Revelation 7, 9. I think that's where we're heading. It's also part of the plan. Genesis 22, all nations would be blessed through Abraham. It was always God's original design. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, because we are fallen humans, we know that that plan has been tainted and we see the injustices in the world. And there's so many injustices in the world that get that, are barriers to that unity, not just racism, sexism, division, hate is on the rise. And I think the love of God is not only an antidote, but the necessary agent in bringing about unity. And I think mm. I'm struck by the person of Jesus, who in the face of, I mean, I, I love, I've been really interested reading about Samaria as almost like a case study for how to respond to injustice. And you, you'll know this and your listeners will know this, but you know, after Solomon's death, the, the two kingdoms of the tribes of Israel and Judah and then the Babylonian exile and the, the people group of the Samaritans who we hear about in the New Testament quite a lot was formed. And we scholars don't really know how really it came to be, but we know that the Jews and the Samaritans, as we read in the New Testament, did not mix. They did not associate with one another. I think that speaks into a lot of our racial divisions in 2021. There are so many barriers and even the disciples, you can read in Luke nine, how they, when Jesus says, let's go through Samaria, they're like, no, they pray for fire. They offer to pray for fire. So even the disciples themselves were tainted by this, this, this racial division. And I'm so interested that Jesus, when he tells in Luke 10, a story of how to love his neighbor, you know, the, the hero of the story isn't the priest who walks by on the other side. It isn't the Levite, but the person who Jesus picks as the hero of this narrative as you've spoken about in your podcast is the good samaritan that's such a significant thing for jesus to choose and then you know in john chapter 4 the woman in the well how jesus goes out of his way to meet this samaritan woman and the story of samaria it, I, i've been tracking through acts as well you know the great commission when jesus says you'll be my witnesses judea samaria and the ends it crops up again and they still haven't done it acts chapter 6 the disciples still haven't gone to samaria and it's, I, I would argue, the first instance of affirmative action 
Acts chapter six, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebrew Jews, they're divided, they're feeling underrepresented, which I think is the cry of the underrepresented minorities in 2021. And what does the church do when faced with this um, underrepresentation? They anoint new leaders. And you'll know Stephen and Philip are two of them. Stephen, who goes on to be the first martyr, and Philip, who is the first person to finally go to Samaria and preach the gospel. And, and on his way, you'll know the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and many scholars would credit him with being the first person to bring the gospel to that part of the world. Yeah. That came through affirmative action. That came through the church intentionally correcting the wrongs um, in society. And so I kind of long for our churches, the church, capital C, to catch a glimpse of what does Jesus do in the face of injustice and division? Cause I think it's radical and I think it's transformative. Yeah. I love how you have taken um, that whole narrative uh, right the way back from Solomon through to the early church uh, and being able to allow us just to see where race and racism played its part. What really strikes me in all of that is the only place where Jews and Samaritans were together. The only place you'll see this in scripture where mm -hmm. they hang out together yeah. is in the borderland between Samaria and Galilee. And it was a leprosy camp. Wow. The only place where the Samaritans and the Jews did not have racist hate towards each other were when they were all outcast because they were all lepers. And wow. it's, there's something in the isolation and, um, yeah, in the health crisis, that suddenly the barriers that existed previously didn't exist anymore. And it's Jesus who walks into the leprosy camp uh, and then, you know, speak, ends up speaking healing over the lepers. And I think that's just interesting. That's the only place I can find in the New Testament where the Samaritans and the Jews are living together uh, and not at war with one another. It was in the leper camp. Isn't that interesting? I I didn't know I'm going to go and read that because that's amazing. And I love it. I mean, you talked about barriers. And sorry, this is another biblical <laughs> illustration. So I apologize no. for going hard on this. But I, I genuinely have found because there have been times I've been deeply hurt and frustrated by the church, just as Ryan, like feeling excluded on racial grounds. And it's actually in the pages of scripture that I found hope and discovered a calling to ordination because I, I was so compelled by God's vision. And one of the things one of the passages that kind of breathed life into that vision for me was Mark 11, the story that we all know of Jesus cleansing the temple courts, I think is how the, the subheading of the Bible puts it. And you'll know this story, you know, there are, there are people selling doves and the merchants in the temple courts. But what I found fascinating is it was in the out, it was the outer courts of the temple. And you'll know that that was the only place where basically non-Jewish people who didn't have access to the inner layers, the Holy of Holies, would meet. And basically it was the only place that people outside of the Jewish people could hear. In other words, the only place of unity. And Jesus is so angry that that has been blocked off, that people outside of the Jewish people couldn't hear, um, couldn't hear the, the good news of the kingdom of God. And, and I love what Jesus says. He says, you know, isn't it written that my Father's house would be a house of prayer for all nations. That is Jesus's response to his anger. And the word nations is the Greek word ethne, which is where we get the word ethnicity from. So his anger, it, and I've always wondered, why was Jesus so angry? Like it felt really almost out of character, unless you actually understand the character of God's heart to injustice. It felt out of character. Why was it so strong? Why was the reaction so strong? And I think 
Jesus answers the question. His reaction was so strong. It's because his design, God's design for that place was to be one of unity where all ethnes would come. And I think that's, that's still God's vision for the church. It's still God's vision for our churches, our communities, that in our unity, John 17, let them be one as the Father and Jesus are one. That's God's vision for us. And we each have a part to play. We each have a part to play. Even if we feel like the narrative isn't around us and maybe it's around a group that's been typically included and now we're kind of like oh my goodness is our time up like no it's about unity and we can't have unity without you we each have a part to play and the part might be raising up others it might be drawing people mm-hmm. together and i have i have as much to learn from you chris as i hope i have to contribute to your life as well and I, vice versa and i think that's what unity is we each have something to give we each have something to contribute and and that unity is a is a, is a real place of belonging yes Belonging is not found in us We're all wearing the same clothes, all having the same education, all right. understanding the world in the same way. Belonging is the fact that we don't belong, but we do because of Jesus. That's right. It's, it's all about what he has done for us means that we now together in unity belong together with him uh, in his incredible body. Uh, and that and it just blows me away. We don't, but you don't belong in your local church because you fit there because they do the kind of things you like. It's a, the belonging that we find in the church is rooted itself firmly in Jesus, what Jesus has done for us. Ryan, thank you so much for uh, spending a bit of time with me. It's just so lovely hearing you kind of unpack those scriptures in that way, uh, in, in a way that just elevates and reveals something that for many of us reading them wouldn't have spotted or seen or, or kind of uh, heard said before. So thank you so much. If anybody wants to hear more on, on what you were talking, is there any good books or anything that you're aware of that you could point people towards? That's a great question. <laughs> read the bible i genuinely <laughs> the bible is so transformative i mean there are loads of resources with that, with that different churches have been posting and through this time but i think the sad truth is a lot of the best narratives have been outside of the church mm-hmm. as it comes to race and stuff so i think there's a real job for the church to to kind of unpick this and i'm i'm hoping and praying that many people watching and listening sorry to this podcast will feel compelled to contribute whatever they can because i think there probably is room to step it up in terms of the church's resources Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Until next time, grace and peace. Mm